0: Hello and welcome to the New North Podcast, where we investigate the unique sounds and perspectives of exploratory musicians. My name is Joe O'Connor and I'm a member of New North Artistic Committee, along with Andy Butler and Callum Giffray. New North is a platform for musicians who push boundaries in their areas of practice. This podcast is a companion to our concert series, which celebrates the amazing work of musicians and sound artists, both established and emerging make and present work on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. Head to newnorthmusic.online for information about upcoming events, links to recordings from previous concerts, and information about our Emerging Artists Commission. You can also like New North on Facebook and follow new__north__music on Instagram for regular updates about our activities including our upcoming concert, Veils, which will run at Brunswick Mechanics Institute on Wednesday, June 8th, beginning at 7.30pm. With this episode, I'm taking a slightly different approach with the podcast. Previous guests have all performed at New North, but there are so many artists in our orbit that we haven't yet had the opportunity to feature. One of these artists is Jessica Lindsay-Smith who is in the final stages of preparation for the premiere of a new opera, Esoteric, at our home venue, Brunswick Mechanics Institute. Jessica joined me recently to talk about the musical and thematic inspirations for this work and the path that has led her to writing an extended work that combines vocals, instrumentalists, projections by visual artist Rachel Archibald and movement by Arabella Franz Starkey. So here's my recent chat with Jessica Lindsay Smith. Hi Jessica, thanks for joining me to talk about your new opera, Esoteric, which is premiering at Brunswick Mechanics Institute on Friday, May 20th. To start with, I'd love you to share a little bit of background about your work as a composer. How have you arrived at the point where you're composing contemporary opera?
1: That's a a long explanation (laughs) and it has not been a direct route by any way, shape or form. I guess I've been thinking lately the earliest memory I have of composing was in year 12 my um, like music subject teacher sat me down in front of Sibelius which is a music notation software where you like input the music and she said okay now's the time to write a piece of music for this subject and I've never done this before I have no idea what it is but I sat down and inspired by that simpsons episode with the b sharps barbershop quartet oh, yeah. i wrote a piece for barbershop quartet and it ended up like getting into top sounds and got performed there and i just sort of like hadn't really looked back from there i did um, an undergrad in uh composition at monash uni and honors at the melbourne conservatorium um and sort of like interspaced with that i've done like periods of a lot of composition writing and then segments of doing completely different stuff. So I'm actually also a nurse. So I've done like a bit of nursing in there and for some reason that I'm still trying to figure out, I've always just been drawn back into music. And I guess I've always liked the idea of combining multiple art forms into one. And I guess that that's a pretty rare opportunity that you have to do it on such a large sort of scale Mm. and a large form. And I guess, um, having that drive to always having wanted to write something that can be very loosely classified as an opera, Mm. I've, Mm. um, sort of taken the opportunity to bring that together into this opera.
0: Mm. Yeah. And it's very cool. And I suppose such a rare thing to see because opera has, like you say, so many different elements going on. Um, and, um, and so, really, it, it we see the most from you know big commissions from Opera Australia and things like that, and relatively rare to see these smaller independent operas. So, um, a very cool thing that um, that you're you're doing there. And so, how would you describe your current artistic practice? You know, what are you, what are your um, what are your interests and inspirations?
1: Oh, I feel like I'm just constantly overwhelmed with inspiration. I think. Oh, just... lucky you. <laughs> I wish it well, was so easy to come Just by. like yeah, being hey. in an environment that we're in, where we have this unlimited access to content 24 hours a day on yeah. demand. I just feel like I never get to a point where I want to stop listening and want to stop exploring other music. And I think like having not having a finite place to arrive means that I always feel unfinished in my practice and I never mm-hmm. feel like I've fully explored writing an opera or a string quartet quartet or anything like that. Mm. I always have this, like, innate feeling to want to keep creating and want to do more. Mm. And I think I've sort of, I guess, come to the conclusion recently that I've just been writing music that I want to hear that Mm. I can't find anywhere else. Mm. So I'm finding a gap in sound Mm. because music is so much about, like, timbre and texture and sound for me. Mm that if I can't find that sound somewhere else, then I'm sort of writing it to fill a gap, Mm. just in a selfish way, just for me, but hoping that it fills a gap for other people as well.
0: It it tends to follow, I think, you know, like if you're really compelled by something, you know, there's going to be interest in that from from other people. Um, So opera is a performance medium that does have such a long and varied history, and I'm I'm curious... um, is it something that you've really engaged with a lot um, in its more traditional forms or, or is it more this idea of collaboration that's inspiring it?
1: I, I've never been someone to follow the rules. So I think I was really drawn to the idea of creating um, within an art form that already had so many rules that were just sort of like waiting to be broken and changed and recreated. Mm. And I've worked a lot with choral music mm um which has been lovely writing for ensembles um but you often don't get the opportunity to write for an instrumentation of like a group of singers Mm. and other instruments I think it's just like there aren't that many ensembles Mm. looking to play music like that so you sort of have to create your own
0: yeah very true and and in my experience you know I, I did a lot of choral singing when I was younger and my sense of that sort of Part of the music scene is that it, it, the established institutions are often quite conservative. Um, yep. you know, I know <laughs> Melbourne <has laughs> I know Melbourne certainly had the Astra Chamber Choir, which has done, you know, some amazing, yeah. you know, more contemporary and twenty-first century music. But that's, you know, that's a rare exception, I think. You know, yeah. um, and
1: I think it's especially challenging when you're approaching a certain instrument or instrument group that is founded in such a long tradition and history of being. Um, performed in a very specific way like you're saying especially with choral music it's Mm. really its own sort of world and you've got those ensembles that are breaking free of that and that's definitely been a challenge in this project is i've brought together musicians from a lot of different areas that aren't necessarily like focused on extended technique Mm. you know 21st century classical music and that's you know brought this wonderful palette of color to the project but Mm. Yeah, hopefully I'm breaking free of those <laughs> confines a little bit.
0: Yeah, um, I'm, I'll talk to you a little bit later about some of those musicians who are involved because it is a, a really interesting lineup. But um, I suppose, uh, in terms of the work itself, you know, um, something that I'd love to do with our chat today is to give any listeners an idea of what they might um, find if they if they come to the the premiere of your new work. Um, and I want to attack that from a couple of different angles. Um, firstly. Um, there's the, you know, opera has a narrative content to some extent, or, or some kind of thematic material that you're working through. And, um, and then there's the, the musical and dramatic and visual sides. So let's start with the, um, um, the, the, narrative side. I'm curious, um, how did you, um, come to the type of themes that you're exploring and, and maybe, um, if you want to expand on what those themes are?
1: Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So, um, I guess a really big theme, well, the big theme, that that flows through the whole work is the idea of like one planet, you know, we've got this opportunity now, this really rare and finite opportunity to make a big difference before we've sort of gone too far with the climate and there's no going back. And I've, you know, again, in like modern society, you're bombarded with all of what everyone's doing all of the time. you know i I follow a lot of these like people who are doing fabulous things with gardening and creating community activist groups and making wonderful contributions and i thought how can i in my own language and my own sort of within my own skill set positively contribute to this and and make some sort of difference so yeah the the theme of of climate really runs through so i guess a, a little bit of the background of the story is the idea that there's this sort of sect or group of people who have this folklore that has been passed down through generations about what planet earth used to be like in the past which is our present so it's set in in the future um as a way for them to keep alive the idea of what the natural world and the biosphere was that it no longer is because you know we've gone too far and there's no coming back um, and so I guess there's no narrative in a traditional sense that, you know, there's um, a, a start, a middle and an end. It's more sort of little fragments um, woven together. Um, yeah, does that make sense? <laughs> it
0: does, yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, and I, and I suppose... Um, Yeah, quite a departure then from the the traditional operatic form, which is much more of a melodrama, you know, there's something almost comic about... Yeah, (laughs)
1: yeah. And I guess the thing that the work has most in common with opera as a more broad genre is the emotional palette of the work and it's not dramatic in a sense of having that sort of narrative drive, but it's dramatic in the incorporation of other art forms Mm. and the movement, the visuals and
0: the music. Mm. So did you, point, did you start from the point of view of developing a libretto or did you, did you kind of create it more out of these sort of fragments or impressions or emotional states?
1: I had the thought, right, this is a long-form work and I need some sort of structure because normally I compose completely intuitively and just sort of move from little segment to segment mm. completely driven by what I want to hear and how it sounds. And I did that for about ten minutes, and realised <laughs> that that just wasn't going to work. And like, why am I even bothering trying to put in some artificial structure when it's not how I work mm. as a composer? Mm. So I um I really just composed it from start to end, mm. um and wrote the libretto as I went through, and it's um sort of an English, um, Latin, Japanese hybrid language right, right. that I sort of like had created this futuristic world and liked the idea that language had sort of amalgamated into one.
0: Mm. Cool. I have well, often you know, wondered how um, people go about those sort of big works with text, you know. Like I've flirted with the idea of writing text for music before and have done a tiny bit of lyric work, a tiny bit, not a lot. But it's it's always something that, um, you know, as someone who doesn't have a really developed practice in that world, it's, it's such a different approach and, you know, I suppose with music practice and, and anything you're familiar with, you kind of get into the rhythm and you know how things evolve. And when you um come across adversities, you often know that oh, this always happens. It takes me a couple of weeks to work through it, and then um, I'm on my way again. So, you know, I admire the um the commitment to such a big piece of work. You know that, <laughs> that involves these um different um, mediums. Um, and that actually might be a good point for us to talk about. Um, I suppose the other side of the work, which is that, um, the visual and, um, uh, the movement and, and, um, the collaborations that are actually part of that. So, um, would you like to talk about, um, your work with, um, Rachel Archibald, who's a, a wonderful, um, visual artist and, um, and Arabella Fran Starkey, who's doing movement?
1: Yeah, this has been a steep le- learning curve for me, I think. Often in music, it's really easy to be um, quite independent and put your head in the sand a little bit in terms of creating work, especially as a composer. Often you write the work for someone else, hand it over and sort of take a step back Mm. and watch it unfold. But this has been a real collaboration. So working with Rachel, we sort of started with this basis and idea of um, a lot of archival footage. So Mm. lots of sort of like early colour... Video footage of like science documentaries about weather and bits and pieces like that, Um, and she has done this incredible magic that I won't even pretend to understand (laughs) how it works.
0: She is
1: quite in creating this this footage into this sort of abstract, slow moving, slowly evolving video work Mm. that still maintains the nostalgia and the sort of organic feel of the original footage. Mm. Um, it's just incredible. I like, mm. can't I'm wait to see the whole thing. It. Yeah,
0: Yeah, and I mean, Rachel, I, I know where Rachel's work um, a little bit. She did a video for one of my releases as well. Um, and, you know, I've known her for years. And and she's such a um, an honest artist, I think, and someone who whose work actually does have this incredible kind of organic feel to it, you know, um, which sometimes... It, when she's working in digital mediums in particular, it's I, I don't know how that's achieved, you know, where it would seem that the, um, you know, the medium almost wants to drive it in a different direction. But, you know, I love the way that her work sometimes feels like, you know, landscapes or topographical maps and things like that. It's it's quite special. Um, so oh, and, and the other thing I was going to say about Rachel is she makes the most amazing music. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> which, uh... Now you're telling me. <laughs> oh, you didn't know that? <laughs> no, I didn't. Oh I my didn't. God. No, Rachel's. I love Rachel's music, and um, she's a, a long-term collaborator of Tim Green, who's a very yeah. um, close collaborator of mine. Um, and they they have a duo called Round which I love, um, which is I suppose kind of electroacoustic music. Um, but um, she also creates these sort of uh, experimental mixes. Um, yeah and that really yeah. sounds
1: like it fits the aesthetic of the visuals as yeah
0: well. yes well and, and i think there is definitely a continuity um between her you know her musical work and her visual work it's um yeah i sh- I, sh- I should hook you up with some of this music because yeah, rachel's actually someone i'm desperate to program for new north at some yeah point wonderful mm.
1: i saw her work first um on theo Carbo's album I think it's oh, the relative size yes, i think yes, that's yes, where yes. i sort of like
0: yeah, it's I beautiful. fell into
1: that and I was just like, oh, I have to create something that involves this in some way.
0: Yeah, yeah. And for anyone listening who hasn't checked that out, the relative size of things, it's it's kind of like a extended video collaboration, right? about 15 minute work. And I think it's on Bandcamp. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Yeah. So um, if you search Theo on Bandcamp, I'm pretty sure it'll take you to this work. And definitely I'd, I'd recommend checking that out. Um, so the, um, the other creative involved um, in the visual um, side of things is, is Arabella, um, who I actually don't know. I don't know Arabella at all. So tell me um, what, um, what they're bringing to the, the table.
1: Yeah, she's a wonderful um, choreographer and fantastic dancer in her own right. Um, and she has done this fabulous job of really blurring the boundary between like a performing ensemble, and a performance work. And that's another thing that I just haven't really been a part of. I mean, I've done some work in music theater, but still the music is very separate. The band is very separate from the performance there. Mm. They don't interact very rarely.
0: And so it's like the opera pit.
1: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And we don't have an opera pit because mm. everyone is part of the performance and mm. they're, they're part of the, the storytelling in a way. And, she's created this, like, vision and idea and shape for the movement. Um, And I remember sitting in the first rehearsal that she had with the singers, and I was just sort of, like, the rehearsal pianist, and I just sat there. I was just blown away by her ability to communicate this incredible, like, field of ideas and shapes and patterns that she created. Mm. Translate that into language for other people to understand and then the other people to bring it back to life was just this incredible loop. I, I don't know how else to describe it. Yeah. But um. so between having the movement and um, everybody is dressed in all white and mm. as you know, the Brunswick Mechanics Institute is a black box theatre. Yeah. Yeah. So the white costumes pick up the projections mm. um, and the black not so much. So you sort of get this like, stark pockets of of color and and like video movement and so that's been wonderful to have someone like black bell orchestrating that Mm. orchestrating how that will look because i guess it it's even more more important than than ever having the white with the colors it's such a spectacle all the time. You can't hide yeah. wherever you are on the stage. You're there and everyone's looking at you because you're being lit up like a Christmas tree. <laughs> yeah. A very tasteful Christmas yeah. tree. But
0: So does that mean all, all the projection, is that only going on to the performers or is there projection onto a screen as well? There's
1: no screen. We've no. got some like swathes of fabric that the okay. um, ensemble like, interact with. Yeah. But um, yeah, it's very limited in terms of having a set place for the projections. It's mm. more like a an ever-shifting textural idea rather than like a movie with music.
0: Hmm. And I, I can imagine that working really well with Rachel's work as well, which is so much about surfaces. You know, there's there's so much um, colour and variation in the way that, that she works with, with um, texture. So, you know, that combined with fabric. And actually, I don't know if you've seen her fabric work. Um, I'm just getting <laughs> blown away by this. Yeah, Rachel, <laughs> Rachel um, has done quite a lot of stuff with... Um, uh, printing, her um digital work onto fabric and making clothes out of it. I have so, seen
1: a little bit of that. that yeah,
0: incredible. It's very very beautiful stuff. Um, so um, I was was wondering then, um, you're working with quite a few musicians who have a background in um improvisation, and um, I was wondering if. Um, if that's informing the way that the work's unfolding you know, or have you brought a, a fairly um, uh, I suppose said idea of the way that these textures would unfold or is it something that you've workshopped with the performers?
1: Um, I had the absolute luxury because we're supported by um, an Arts Council of Australia grant, I've had this fabulous opportunity to be able to employ all of my friends, <laughs> so I have written for specific performers um, and I know their sounds and i know their improvisation palettes and mm-hmm. the sort of i am a bit more clear about that because that terrifies me as a composer writing improvised music to sort of just give to anybody because you have no idea how it's going mm-hmm. to sound yeah. and yeah. coming from that idea of having a very specific sound world that i like to focus on having individual sounds um yeah i've it's been wonderful writing for people where i kind of have an idea how it's going to sound mm. especially like people that i've known for a really long time mm. so like flora carbo's yeah. playing saxophone and bass clarinet and a little bit of tin whistle oh, will make a guest appearance. yeah she's a yeah. great bass clarinet player mm. um so it's been wonderful because i've been like right right here it'll be like flora's really iconic saxophone solo sound i'm like yes this is going to be fabulous mm. but it has been a bit of workshopping I guess trying to connect what I have interpreted like the sound that I want interpreting that into written prompts for the mm. improvisers to then read. Mm. Um, you know, often I think, oh, this is how I would interpret that, but it's just mm. completely different for everybody. Because yeah. Not part of
0: that. It's a tricky thing, isn't it? Getting, um, uh, getting the right balance between, you know, embracing an improviser's, um, contribution and their voice and their perspective but also making sure that it marries up with your more global sense of how it should be yeah it's yeah, um, yeah. I mean working with friends is great in that respect because you know normally you can you can be pretty upfront with and it's great in stuff. that respect
1: because I know that I can have a lot of trust in the performers and I sort yeah. of can give them more um, vague and less regimented ideas and know that even at first if I'm like oh that's not really what I imagined I'm not sure if I want that after two or three listens I'm like I couldn't have written anything better to go in this spot like it's absolutely yeah. fabulous that's what I yeah. would have like in my wildest dreams that's what I would have loved to have notated in there mm. and then that's the great thing every time it's different and yeah. every time you get yeah. that constant sense of awe that it's just wonderful
0: mm. and so um, you've got Flora you've got um, Madison Carter um, Imogen, right? Imogen Imogen yep. Cygler? Cygler, yep. Um so she, Who else, why don't you tell me Okay, I'll <laughs> tell you
1: And I'm going to try not to remember anybody So I count them on my fingers But um, yeah, so um, Flora Carbo is playing clarinet, bass, clarinet And tin whistle um, Madison Carter is playing Kind of like a half drum kit With like auxiliary percussion and vibraphone um, Imogen and Is playing Violin and synth and She's also singing, she's a fabulous singer I don't know if you knew that um, uh, We've also got um, Isaac Gnu Who's playing double bass And he's also singing um, And we've got uh, Mel Taylor Who is one of the So there are sort of like three main character-ish um, Singers, so that's mm-hmm. Mel Taylor Mirinda, Dias Diasina, and Harriet Allcroft there are three main singers. Um, and then we've also got Sarah Dwyn McCui who's playing by, um, cello. Mm-hmm. Incredible. She's also playing a piece of paper in one one <laughs> scrunched-up ball of paper. So come along specifically just to see the paper. It's quite a spectacle. How many people am I up to? I haven't been counting. Mm, oh, I'm playing. Is Theo? Is <laughs> yeah, Theo's yeah. playing. Oh, Theo's yes. playing um, electric guitar and acoustic guitar. Um, I'm playing bass, flute and clarinet. I think that's ten. It would be right. terrible if forgotten, I forgot
0: something. <laughs> I'll add it later in, uh, in the <laughs> outro. And by the way, by the way, it's also this
1: person who's wonderful, and we couldn't do it without mm-hmm. them.
0: <laughs> but it's a beautiful ensemble, you know, and and, um, and such strong voices within within that group as well. Um, so, just a couple of questions then to um, to finish up. Um, one of them is that you know you're dealing with quite. Um, political sort of subject matter in a way the um, day
1: before the election as well. oh my god
0: <laughs> i hadn't even thought about that that was not planned two, two. um well it's um hopefully it's really thought-provoking then again i you know i hazard a guess that most people turning up for an experimental offer are probably not going to vote for the political party. but <laughs> I can see. i'm not, not making no, any judgments no no judgments um yeah this is not a political podcast, um, but in relation to political um, issues, I was wondering—you know—how do you see the the role or the purpose of art, and you know, what what role can it play in the political space? You know,
1: that's a massive question. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's I I think
0: it can make an incredible
1: impact. I mean, we all we all know that, and I guess that's something that you can easily take for granted, especially during COVID. We sort of, once you have that clean cut of being cut off from everything artistic and creative, you have this horrible sense of feeling of emptiness and you're really missing something. And I think that's really um, tells true to how much of an impact that art and you know music more specifically can have on individuals and communities. Mm. Um, but I think music has this really unique highly highly emotive way of just like getting under people's skin and putting them in a realm of being able to self-reflect and be it sounds really corny but like be a part of themselves that you don't really have that opportunity to buy any other art form on such a a sort of big and deep scale Mm. so i really um appreciate and enjoy music that gives you that space to sort of have some time for introspection and have some time for reflection. And I think that whilst in itself isn't particularly political, I think that a lot of um politics is people being self aware of what they value and what um difference and change they want to make in the world.
0: Mm. You know, and I, I I suppose a lot of politics and perhaps the the different ends of the political spectrum are uh, um, reflect maybe different levels of investment in the idea of the greater good, maybe or the you know the um, the needs of the most vulnerable people. And you know, I I've, I find it very difficult to conceive of how um, art might be political in a really specific way, and you know, unless it's a um a, a piece that is um intentionally really political in its message but i suppose kind of in, along similar lines you know one one of the things that i was thinking is that when you really engage with someone's work and it's um it draws you in and it's an expression of their vulnerability you know you are creating a space where you're trying to understand another person and um and consider their experience and um uh and I think if we all did that more and better, um, you know, the political climate would look very different. Yeah, couldn't agree of. more. Um, yes, well, um, let's let's see how that plays out <laughs> in the next little while. Um, so the the last question I have for you is really um, a question about um, the audience experience. You know. What type of, of experience would you like the audience to take away from from the opera?
1: I think the idea of having an audience take away that this is a very real possibility of how future generations will sit and experience what the natural world was like. Mm. And how in a in a sense it's very harrowing to think that in the future Potentially, the, the way to experience that beautiful vision of long grass sort of swaying in a windy field, or you know, tides coming and going on like beautiful clean sand, that that might be um, a sort of distant memory of the past. I think if people can come away with that very real, and honest, and raw sense that this is a real possibility and that we need to do something about it and whether that is a new thought for some people that it's sort of striking up something within them wanting to learn more about what's happening with the world or whether that sort of like adds wood and firewood to someone's already burning fire where they already have this real passion and uh, need to, to be activists and to, to make change, positive change for the climate. Um, and I guess more generally, I'd love for people to come away with having had this sort of otherworldly experience and having a break from the relentlessness often of like day to day and and how overwhelming it can be um, sort of like being a human in this time. Mm-hmm. So I think giving people, again, that space to self-reflect and just exist for so an hour or one so. dystopia. Yeah, no. <laughs> but it's a beautiful dystopia oh, that's the difference I'm, I'm, I'm sure it will be <laughs> um,
0: and if, um, if anyone wants to experience this beautiful dystopia how would they best go about finding tickets?
1: Yep. so you can um, search just a google search for esoteric and the word opera will come up with the eventbrite ticket link or you can visit my website um, which is www.jessicalindsaysmith.com and it's right on there on the front page
0: Beautifully. Well, well, I hope there's um, there's plenty of people there to experience it because it sounds like a really exciting piece of work.
1: Thank you so much for having me, Joe.
0: My pleasure. I hope you enjoyed my chat with Jessica. I'm certainly really looking forward to seeing this ambitious new work on May 20th at BMI, and I encourage you to follow the links Jessica mentioned for tickets. The cast is packed full of accomplished and creative artists, and I'm sure it'll be a compelling and thought-provoking work. Just a couple of weeks after this event, New North is also presenting its next concert, Vales, on June 8th. Tickets are being released on May 11th, so head to the New North website, newnorthmusic.online, or keep updated via our social media channels. That's new underscore north underscore music on Instagram, or new north on Facebook. Until next time, take care.